All right, Nesiva Shalom, Parshas Vayigash. So I took a piece, actually, I had, I had originally chosen another piece, and then I, I kind of like this, so we'll see. Well, let's hope that this was a, a good choice. Okay, so you have the page, Reish Tzadi and Reish Tzadi Aleph, right? That's what you should have there. It's a short piece, so we should be able to, uh, to do the whole piece. Okay, so we know the Pasuk says... I don't know if you, some people like to have a chumash in front if you want to see the psukim, but So Yosef says to his brothers, finally, the parasha begins with Yehuda approaching Yosef and Yehuda offering to become a slave uh, instead of in the place of Binyamin. And then Yosef at some point says, He couldn't hold back anymore. He had to, he had to say who he was. So the, Gemara, uh, the, the Rebbe, the Siva Shalom tells us, When they already came earlier, right? So Yosef says, what, how does he reveal himself? He says, Ani Yosef those, are, those are the famous words that have been uh, memorialized in songs. I am Yosef. Is my father still alive? Or as we'll see, that's at least the standard translation. Is my father still alive? So the Rebbe is asking a question. He says, we already said earlier in last week's parsha, Yosef already ascertained that Yaakov was still alive, right? He had the whole conversation. You have to bring Binyamin. The old, they said we have an old father. He knew that, Abraham, that Yaakov was, was alive. Right, even when they came back this time, he asks them, how's your elderly father doing? That you said he's still alive. They answered him that he's still alive. So why is he asking them again, is my father still alive? This is a question that's been asked by many. Some say he was afraid maybe that they were, they were uh, not being honest with him. But the, but the Rebbe here is asking this question. He says, another question. Why is he referring to him as Avi, my father? Right? He's, uh, so I have a brother who's 14 years younger than me. And uh, when, he was six when I moved out of the house, when I got married. And the last two, three years I was in yeshiva, so we never really lived in the house. So he, when he was a kid, he used to refer to his parents, right? Because it didn't, like, register for him that we, like, it was our parents, right? But Yosef knew that they were, they, they shared a father. So why is it that he's referring to him as Avi, my father? Is my father still alive? He should have said, he should have said, Lashin Yachid, Rebbe's going to tell us what he said. Why didn't he say, is our father still alive? And also, so we have the problem of why he asked the question, how he asked the question, and also they don't answer him. There's no answer. There's no, he says, he reveals himself. We don't find anywhere in the Chumash that, that, uh, that, Yosef, that the brothers answered Yosef as to whether the father was alive. So the Gemara, so I keep referring to the Gemara, I'm sorry. <coughs> when the brothers first came, go back to the beginning of the story, when the brothers first sold Yosef, two parshas ago, they sold Yosef into slavery. And they come and they tell Yaakov, they show him Yosef's coat, and they say that, uh, is this the coat of your, of your son? And uh, he, he recognizes that they're telling him that his son is dead. And Yaakov refuses to be comforted. Refuses to be comforted. Now, we've heard Midrashim about this over the years. But it's a very strange thing for a tzaddik to refuse to be comforted. As the Rebbe explains now. He says, Tzaddikim throughout Jewish history have dealt with terrible news. 
And in general, the response of a tzaddik, the, the response that we should all be on the madrega of when something negative happens, but certainly a tzaddik is, if that's the will of Hashem, it's not what I would have chosen, I'm not happy that, that, right, that something happened to someone, but I accept it as, as Ratzon Hashem, it's Hashem's will. So Yaakov refuses to be comforted, sounds very strange. Yaakov was a tzaddik, we know Yaakov was a tzaddik. Yaakov refuses to be comforted, it seems very uncharacteristic of what a tzaddik's response should be to such a situation. It sounds like, just if you just, at first glance, the Pasuk sounds like Yaakov is refusing to accept Hashem's will. And to, and to uh, accept and to be, be okay with Hashem's, with Hashem's uh, conduct of his life. So he says, we have to explain this. There's, there's a concept. We know there are chazals, there are gemaras that tell us that, that, the, that the avos kept kala so when we were kids, we always heard that. We would say that, you know, we, we pictured that if you walked into Avram Avinu's tent, he had a bookshelf like this with a Shulchan Aruch and a Mishnah Brura, and he wanted to look up what was, what, was, what was the halacha. Are you allowed to cook this on Shabbos? Are you allowed to, do, are you allowed to eat this? But we know they didn't have that, right? They didn't have a, they didn't have a printed Shulchan Aruch on their table. So how did the others keep Kala So Chazal already explained that they, they were so in tune to what was Ratz and Hashem. They were, so, they're, they're, they were so purified that they naturally, their instincts understood in every situation that they were faced with, what do, is it that Hashem wants in this situation? And therefore, they were able to see a tree and, appreci- and make a bracha because they understood that this was appreciating Hashem's creation. Everything that they were faced with, they were able to discern what is it that Hashem wanted from them in that moment. So that their, so that their, uh, that their limbs automatically were just, it, were just sensitive to what does Hashem want in that, in that situation. And he brings an example that he brings in many places. This is the Nesiva Shalom's classic example of how do we see that the Avos were so in tune. Because it says in the parasha of the Akedah, when Avram Avinu brings Yitzchak Avinu up to the Akedah, so it says, Avram sent out his hand, which is a very strange lushan in the Pasuk. What do you mean sent out his hand? He picked up the knife, he was ready to shecht Yitzchak, and, and the Malach told him to stop. What does it mean by Yishlach es Yoda? He, he sent forth his hand. It's a very strange lashon. By Yikasach es he took the knife. Lishchad es benai. Shalachayra emru by Yishlach Avram es Yoda. Who Yitro lashon? It seems like it's an extra word. Extra words. It should have just said by Yikasach Samacheles Lishchad es benai. He took the knife. He was going to shecht his son. What does it mean? He sent out his hand. So the diuk is Elisha Yoda shall Avram mian alishchad es Yitzchak. Avram's hand was fighting him. Avram's hand was fighting him. Avram goes, gets up to the, to the Akedah. He says his L'shem Yichud. He's ready to do Hashem's will. As difficult as it is for him, this is what Hashem commanded him to do. He goes to pick up the knife and his hand is refusing to pick up the knife. He has to force his hand to do it. Why? Why would that be? Because we now know at the end of the story that Hashem really want Avram to shecht Yitzchak. No, that was never the plan. At the time, Avram was under the impression that Hashem wanted him to shecht his son. But the ultimate rutzen of Hashem was that you're not supposed to shecht Yitzchak. So when Avram goes to take the knife to shecht Yitzchak, his body, which we just said was so sensitive to the will of Hashem, is fighting him. 
It doesn't want it. No, it, it doesn't know it in a in a in a in a conscious way. But it, the Ratzon Hashem is that Yitzchak should not die right now. So it doesn't want to pick up the knife. So Avram Avinu has to force his hand. He has to almost like, over, he has to hit the override button to get his hand to pick up the knife. Because his hand is so, is so sensitive to what is the ultimate will of Hashem that it doesn't want to pick up the knife. It, doesn't, it knows that that's not what Hashem wants. The hand wouldn't go out. Normally, when Avram was going to do a mitzvah, his body was, was in full force on, on its way to that mitzvah. And all of a sudden, right, I want, it, it, he doesn't talk about what was going through Avram's mind at that moment. Like for the last 80 years, my body's doing everything I can to do a mitzvah, and all of a sudden it's fighting me. He probably figured it was the Yitzhahara. I don't know, whatever, whatever Avram's cheshman was. But his body's fighting him because it knows that ultimately this is not what Hashem wants from him. Avram has to force it. He has to force his hand to, to, to move forward. Valderech Zes, he says the same way is true here. I'm sorry, his, his mind and his heart are doing the will of Hashem. Hashem did not want, even though you're right, when a tzaddik gets terrible news, the tzaddik's reaction in, in 99% of the situations, what Hashem wants from the tzaddik is to accept it, be a hava, to say I don't understand, but I have a muna that everything Hashem does is for the best, and this feels terrible to me, but this is what Hashem wants, and I accept it, and I'm going to continue in my avodas Hashem. And really what Yaakov should have done was say, it's terrible that Yosef was killed, it's awful, I'm in pain, but Hashem wants me to continue. And to, and to go on. So Yaakov should have received comfort from the rest of his children. But he doesn't. Why? Because his mind and his, and his heart are in tune to the fact that that's not what Hashem wants. Hashem does not want him to be comforted. We'll see in a second why. He does not want him to be comforted over Yosef. He does not want him to sort of put Yosef, not that any parent who has a problem with a child could ever put them out of his mind, but to somehow compartmentalize it and be able to move on. Hashem does not want that in the case of Yosef. Why? The reason is, the whole Yeshua shall Yosef. How did Yosef, we know Yosef was, was faced with the, with, the, with the temptation of, of Eishas Potiphar, right? That he, was, that he was presented with this opportunity. And Chazal tell us that Yosef wanted to, it wasn't like it was something that he found distasteful. He wanted to, to give in to this Yetzirah. And how did he ultimately overcome that Yetzirah? Well, who, whose image did he see? He saw the image of his father. He saw the image of his father in the window, and that's what gave him the strength to overcome this, this terrible uh, temptation, right? So Yosef's entire salvation comes from the fact that he was still connected to Yaakov Inu. Had Yosef forgotten Yaakov, he would have given in to that taiva. He would have given in. He wouldn't have been able to overcome it. Now, in order for a connection to really be strong, it has to be two ways. Right? If you've ever had, it could be an important relationship or it could be even a silly relationship. If it's a relationship that's completely a one-way street, does not have a lot of staying power. It may lay, you may, you may chase after a friend, a guy you want to be your friend, you know, for a month or two, but at some point, if there's no reciprocity, it fizzles. It's just the nature, human nature. A relationship to be real, a relationship to be sustainable has to, ha- has to be two ways. 
It's just, it's just the way that human beings are programmed. That's just the way we are. We need, it has to be a two-way relationship. Otherwise, eventually it fades. Eventually it fades. Only because Yaakov never forgot about Yosef. He never took comfort. He never got over the loss of Yosef. He kept that his kashras. Now Yosef wasn't aware. They weren't aware. They were, again consciously. They weren't aware that they were both thinking of each other. But that's that's there. That's in the creation, and that's what keeps that fresh. Had Yaakov put Yosef out of his mind and forgotten about him, Yosef would not have been able to tap into that memory of his father as well. That's why the, 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 the Gemara tells us in right? That's the Chazal we just mentioned. That came about because of his connection with Yaakov. If he would have given up, okay, Yosef is gone. We'll put him, you know, we'll make a nice yard site suit every year or whatever, but we're not going to think about him all the time. So uh, he wasn't here. He would have forgotten about him. Who knows what could have happened? Because Yaakov maintained that connection. That Yosef was able to become the ruler of Eretz Mitzrayim. Which he says in earlier pieces on Parshish Vayigash, that Yosef being the ruler of Mitzrayim is not just like, that he was like the, you know, the number one administrator, or he was the prime minister of the country. Mitzrayim, we know, is the darkest, lowest place in the world. Yosef ruled over that. Yosef lived through that for 22 years, and he, over, he ruled over that. He had complete control over the side of darkness. Yosef was able, but that was only because of his connection with Yaakov, being connected to Yaakov. I'm sorry. Hashem did not want Yaakov to ever be okay with Yosef's absence, with Yosef's being gone. He wanted him to think that he's still alive. On some level, it was a subconscious level. And Yaakov's evarim, his limbs, his heart, and his mind, automatically kept the Ratzon Hashem. Without Yaakov understanding why. Why they were fighting him. Yaakov probably had a conflict, just like Avram had a conflict with his, with his hand. Yaakov was sitting there, probably giving himself Musr Shmuzin, saying, you're supposed to be able to take comfort and know that everything Hashem does for the best. And yet his mind and his heart refused to comply. The who Alderach Mashal. He says, "Give you, gives you. We'll give you an example of this connection between Yaakov and, and Yosef." A guy falls into a deep pit. It's fifty feet deep. There's no possibility of climbing out of this pit. This is a pit that a human being can't get out of on, on their own. But he but he has one saving grace. He's holding on to a rope, a very sturdy rope. And it's connected to a very strong thing on the top, right? There's a metal bar on top, and it's connected there. So even though he, you can have a guy in another pit that doesn't have the rope, they're both in the same situation. They just fell 50 feet. There's no way to really climb out of this. The guy with the, with the rope is going to be in a much better frame of mind than the guy without the rope, right? Because he, he knows he has a way of getting out. He has, he's connected to the top. He can still escape from his situation. But if he's not connected to anything, then it's, then it's terrible. And he has no way out. He has no way to help himself. Then when he falls... He's gone. He's finished. There's nothing. There's no. Way, there's no chance of, of survival. like the Medrash tells us, You have a person, a man overboard, right? They, they, they're on a boat 
And a man goes overboard, he falls into the ocean. The, the, the sailor sends him, the captain sends him a rope. He throws him a rope. He throws him a rope, he says, don't let go of that rope. No matter what happens, for whatever reason, you have to make up the story, but they can't, they can't pull him in right now. Okay, But you let go of this rope, it's game over. As long as you're holding on to that rope, we'll eventually be able to bring you back in. But if you let go of the rope, your life is over. You have no way. We're in the middle of the ocean somewhere. If you don't hold on, if you don't stay connected to this boat somehow, then you have no hope. What's the advice? Hold on to this rope. Because if you remain connected, as long as you're connected to the ship, even if you're being thrown around in the, in the, in the ocean, and it may be terrible. The next few minutes of your life may not be your favorite minutes of your life. The guy in the 50-foot pit, till he figures out how to climb, and he doesn't know what's on the ground there, it's not a good situation that he's in, but he has a, he has a, he has a way of getting out. He'll, he'll survive this. Same thing, the guy could be being tossed around in the waves, but as long as he doesn't let go of that rope, as long as he holds on to that rope, he'll survive. As long as the rope is in your hand, you have, you have life. That was the same idea with Yoytzev. As long as he was connected to Yaakov, as long as he kept that, maintained that connection to Yaakov, he was able to stand strong throughout everything that he went through. This is what Yosef was telling his brothers. See, so we, now the Rebbe is going to explain to us the whole conversation we've learned at the beginning of Parshas Vayigash is not the conversation that was really happening. This is what Yosef is telling his brothers. Ani Yosef. First thing he tells them is, I'm Yosef. Also Yosef. I'm not just Yosef. I'm that same Yosef that left you 22 years ago. I'm in the same place. I'm just as pure and clean as I was 22 years ago. After all of the challenges, all of the tribulations that I went through, to the point of becoming the ruler of all of Mitzrayim, I'm still that same Yosef. I'm still your brother Yosef. Therefore, he adds, Ha'od Avichai. So we read Ha'od Avichai with a question mark. That's the standard way of reading the Pasuk. Ani Yosef. Ha'od Avichai. Is my father still alive? He's saying it differently. Hainu Avishali. My father. That, the fact that my father is my father, that I'm holding on to, that I'm holding on to the rope being tossed around the ocean, which was my father who was the rope, He's still alive. He's still alive in me. That connection is still alive. That that connection I have with Yaakov Avinu is full of vitality. It's alive. It's living in me. I live every day seeing my father's picture in the window. That's why he said, not right? If he was just asking, is daddy alive? He should have said, our father. Is our father alive? But he's saying, he's not asking them. He knows that, right? We established that. He learned that last week's parasha already. He learned that Yaakov was still alive. He's saying the avi, that personal relationship, my hiskashras to Yaakov Inu, that connection that kept me alive for 20 years, it's still alive. It's still alive. That we already established last week's parasha. Before you came, before we had this whole back and forth, you told me that your father, our father was still alive. He's still alive with me. It wasn't a question. That's why it's very good that the brothers never answered him. Right? If he asked the question, we said at the beginning, 
So they should have answered him. Is daddy alive? Yeah, he's alive. They don't answer him. We don't find that they answer him. He wasn't asking them a question. He was telling them, I am Yosef, and that connection with my father is still alive. And I, the way I remained that way, he's also explaining, how is it that I am still Yosef? Because I have that connection with our father, that, with my father, that, and it's still alive. Because my father is alive within me. That's why I, how I became the ruler of Eretz Mitzrayim. And I'm connected to him. Go on to the next page. So what happens after this, right? Yosef, after this, Yosef sends back with messages to his father, right? And they come to the father, and he, they tell him, they come to Yaakov, and they tell him, Yosef is still alive. Yosef is alive. He's the ruler of all of Eretz Mitzrayim. And Yaakov's heart rejected this. Yaakov's heart rejected the news. He didn't believe them. So then they told everything, they, they repeated everything that Yosef told them. Vayaris ha'agolis, they saw the wagons, right? The, the Rashi tells us that the ha'agolis, it was Egla Arufa, that was the last sugya. You're going to see also a new spin on that also now. The Egla Arufa, which is the, I don't know if everybody's familiar with Egla Arufa. Egla Arufa is if they find a dead body between two towns, and we don't know who killed that person. The person was killed, we don't know who killed that person. So they measure, the Gemara Saita gives the whole procedure, they measure and then the, the, peop- the, 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 the elders of the closest town go out, they decapitate an egla, a calf on, on that spot, and then they make a proclamation, a very strange proclamation is, we didn't kill. And the Gemara in to asks the question, does anybody really think that the heads of the Sanhedrin killed somebody? Right? So we'll see in a second, he's going to quote the Gemara. So that was the last... Rashi tells us, uh, by this thing, when Yaakov saw Vayaris HaGolis, he saw the wagons, that it was a reminder that the last sugya that Yaakov and Yosef learned together was the sugya of Egla Rufa, which always sounds very strange, right? Egla Rufa, okay. I mean, when that's so, it's not even so clear in the times of Sanhedrin how many times Egla Rufa even happened, right? It wasn't, it's not a very common, ex- uh, uh, there's a lot of ways that Egla Rufa didn't happen, and at some point they stopped doing it anyway because there were too many murderers, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a very common... Interesting, that was what Yaakov and Yosef were learning. So we'll see why. And then when he sees these agolos, so then Yaakov's, Yaakov's uh, spirit is revived. He knows that Yosef is alive. Whatever doubts he had about what the brothers were telling him are gone. He knows Yosef is alive. So he says, I don't, there's a few problems with this story. The story is in the Pasuk, so you have to figure out what the story means. What do you mean he didn't believe them? Who were the people re- reporting to Yaakov that Yosef was alive? Now, granted, they had lied to him 22 years earlier, or they misled him 22 years earlier. But what, what would be their motivation for lying to him now? And also, these, they were also 22 years older. They were already, at this point, well-established tzaddikim. So he says, That they would lie? Or they were just cruel? They're just going to say your son Yosef is alive? Just kidding? Like, what, what was Yaakov's doubt in what they were telling him? Also, we have a klal in halacha, right, that if, if, I, if I, my testimony, if I testify about something, it, 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 it has a lot more credibility 
if it's something that inevitably is going to come out, right? So in other words, if I come into Besdin and I testify about something, and you'll never know whether I'm lying or not, so then we have to be much more cautious about your testimony. But if I come into Besdin and I make a claim, and tomorrow, one way or the other, you're going to know whether I was lying or not. So you give me a lot more credibility, because I'm not going to lie if tomorrow it's going to turn out, right? So here, if, they, if they're lying, and Yosef's not really alive, and he says, okay, so bring me to Yosef, uh, uh, they're gonna, he's going to find out that they were lying. So really, Yaakov was doubting the, the, the veracity of what, what the Shiftei Ko were saying to him. Says the Rebbe, the fact that Yosef was physically alive, that Joseph ben Jacob was alive, that he had no doubt, that he, he, he believed them. What he didn't believe was, that he lived in Egypt for the last 22 years, and somehow he's ruling over all of the, all of the side of darkness in Mitzrayim. That Yaakov had trouble believing. How could you live in such a disgusting place for 22 years without any connection to your family? You haven't spoken to anybody in your family for the last 22 years. How is it possible that he survived and still remained Yosef, who ultimately was in charge and was able to overcome all of the dark, all of the husks of Mitzrayim? How could he have stayed strong for those 22 difficult years? This is, these, are the, these are the strongest husks in the world. Mitzrayim was, uh, I mean, Chazal tells us that Mitzrayim was the, was, the, was, the, uh, was, was the darkest, lowest place on, in the world. It was the, it was this, it was the world headquarters of of every, every sick Avera that you could think of. It was, was world headquarters was in Mitzrayim. Maybe not a lot has changed. I don't know. I don't know what Egypt looks like today. But uh, So therefore they said to him, they, said, they repeated all of Yosef's words. Right? This, this drasha that we just learned. And they explained that he's still connected to you, to his father. And that's how he became the ruler in Mitzrayim. Then Yaakov's spirit gets revived. Yaakov says, you're telling me that a 17-year-old kid went to Mitzrayim for 22 years and faced all these Nisyonis, impossible that he's still Yosef. Unless, there's only one thing that can make it possible. He stayed connected. Somehow he stayed connected to us, to me, to, to his family, to, 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 to Torah, then it's possible. Without that, it's impossible. There's no way that it could, he could have survived that. Now, what does that have to do with the Egla Rufa? So now he gets to the Egla Rufa. He says, That Yosef sent. That Rashi said, that says that it was, he, was, he was hinting to him about the parish of Egla Rufa that they learned last. That was the last thing they learned together. So we have to explain this the way the Maral. The Maral explains this. Right, we said earlier that what happens, the, the, the elders of the town come out and say, we didn't spill this blood. And the Gemara itself over there says, right, So the Gemara asks, that, that these Akanim, that they killed, that they killed somebody? So the Gemara says, no, what they're saying, what they're testifying is, we escorted this guy. If he was a guest in our town, we escorted him out. That's how the Gemara explains that we, what they're saying is we didn't spill this blood means we didn't let him leave town without an escort. Okay, that sounds like a little bit of a jump from whether you had an escort or not. What, what the Gemara is saying is if you didn't escort him, 
then you did spill his blood, right? Not escorting somebody when they leave, at least town, maybe even one's house, but at least town, is similar to killing them, right? That's, that's what's clear from the Gemara. Why? Because I, I didn't walk the guy out of town a few feet, right? The, by the, the, the midst of Levia, of, Levi, of, Levi, of, of walking the guy out, you don't have to walk him all the way back home. You walk him out a little bit, right? You walk him a few, a few uh, part of the way. You're not walking, you're not protecting him. You're not sending security guards with him the whole way home. You're walking him a little bit out of town. This is a concept. A person who's an individual, this also has to do with why we dive in with a minion, right? That an individual is, does not necessarily deserve any kind of a shmira. A, a, a person on his own, on her own, is not protected in Shemayim. Could be they are in certain circumstances, but they don't, they're not entitled to, to any level of protection. Only by attaching yourself, by connecting yourself to a kehillah, to a, to a group, to others... All of Shmir Mikhaikharabim. Then Mikhaikharabim, he he gets a certain Shmir. There's different reasons that are offered for that. Why why that is, right? By attaching himself to other people. But we see this, and this, this comes up in several places in Allah, Minyan being one of them, that if, if a person davens on his own, Allah also the Gemara Sarita talks about certain parts of davening, you're not supposed to say in Aramaic if you're davening alone, but if you're davening with a minion, you can, because you have you, you, you're connected to the minion. And many things like this. We have uh, the Gemara uh, the Gemara uh, the Gemara in, I think it's Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara tells us that uh, there's certain times of the year that you can that that uh, that we know that we can have a gzar din ripped up by the person like this. But that's only talking about by a yachid, by the rabbim. It's always if you're davening with a minion on a random Tuesday mincha, and there's something in Shemayim against you, you could have it ripped up then because when you're connected to to a rabbim, it's different. The, the different rules apply. This is the idea of escorting somebody out. Not that we're walking along to protect him, right? Half the times the guy walking him out is, is weaker than the guy that they're escorting. That's not, the point is not security. What happens? The guy came to town for a week or two for business, and now he's heading out. And he lives, in those days, you know, you didn't just get on a plane and you ended up halfway around the world 10 hours later. You, you walked and you traveled and you slept in the fields at night, and he seems very much alone. By walking him out, we're saying he's not alone. He's part of us. Right now, he has to go in a situation where he's going to be alone for a few days. But he's not alone. He's one of us. We're, we're, we're walking him out. We're escorting him out. He's connected to other Jews, and with that, he has the, the strength of the, of, the, of the rabbim, of the masses. And therefore, we as a, as a kehillah, as a group, we're entitled to a certain amount of shmirah. We're sharing that with him. We're sharing that in Shemaim. He's one of us. He's part of our group, even if he's going to be on his own for a little bit. But he's, he's one of us. Therefore, if we sent him out without this escort, that's why we're guilty. Not because we didn't protect him from, from wild animals. Had we shown that he was part of us, had we, had we given that, kind of, that protection, that, that spiritual protection, then the animal wouldn't have, wouldn't have attacked him. Then the person, then the robber, the bandit wouldn't have attacked him. So he says, this is what's happening over here. Yaakov, when Yaakov said, how did the whole story start? Yaakov sends Yosef to go check on his brothers, right? So it says over there that Yaakov walked him until Hebron. Yaakov walked with Yosef 
till Chevron. And then Yosef went on from there towards Shechem to find, to find his brothers. But he walked them out part of the way. It's referring to the Egla Rufa. Not that it's just some cute thing he reminded him. Remember, we used to learn Torah together, and this is the last thing we were learning. The very message is inherent in this. Yosef is telling Yaakov, everything that happened to me over the last 22 years was divinely orchestrated. Very specifically. Yosef wasn't harmed at all. He was guarded till the end. Why? Because Yaakov walked him out. Yaakov was the one who connected him. Yaakov gave him that ability, both, as we said in the beginning, because he never forgot about Yosef, but that was involuntary. But the fact that he kept the halachas of Egla Rufa, he walked Yosef to Hebron, he gave Yosef that protection. He connected him to the rabbit. That's why Yosef was hinting to Egla Rufa. That is the idea of that you gave me that Shmira. He's, he's reminding Yaakov. You know how I was able to do this? You're wondering. I was 17 years old. I left home. 22 years I was living in this filth and disgusting land. But you know how I survived? Because you gave me that Shmira. You walked me part of the way. That's what protected me both in my physical life and in my spiritual life. It protected him the entire time. That's how I was able, able to overcome all of the klipas of Mitzrayim and all of the taivas and all of the nisyanis that I went through. I had that because you gave me that strength. Therefore, when Yaakov sees the wagons, this idea of connection, then, then Yaakov's, Yaakov's spirit is, is revived. He says, I find that, that the Rebbe is saying, I know this is not Pashup Shat. <laughs> I understand that this is not the simple meaning of the Pasuk. But, don't think just I, living in the 1900s, came up with this idea. I already see from the Rishonim, from the Balaturim, I already see uh, a, little, a, little, a little support to what I'm saying. This that we said, that Yaakov uh, sent him from Emek Chevron, that the Balaturim says that he walked him out till Chevron. So he, he, he says, Yosef says to him, um, uh, go back. You don't have to walk me. I got this, right? You know, 17-year-old kid. He's invincible, right? I got this. You don't have to, you don't have to walk me. Yaakov quotes him, this, the Gemara, from, from that we, we didn't spill this blood. I can't send you off without this escort. And those were their final words. For 22 years, those were their last words. We and that's how he, that's how we reminded him. Icon, that's the lashon of the Balaturim. Right, so the Balaturim already. It's not the entire way that the Nesiva Shalom is explaining the story, but you already see, you hear that same theme in the Balaturim as you see uh, from the Nesiva Shalom. We can understand now what it says afterwards. When, when Yaakov and Yosef are finally reunited, what does ya- ya- Yaakov say to him? There's a lot of strange things that happen in that first meeting, but he says, Now I can die. Yaakov says to Yosef, Now I can die. They're just reunited. He says, Now I can die. Because I've seen your face that you're still alive. It's a strange thing to say, right? So what does he mean? First of all, it's a double Lushen. I saw your face and you're still alive. Right? I saw your face. You're alive. You're alive. I, see, I can see your face. So he says, 
I knew you were alive the minute your brothers told me you were alive. That I knew, physically alive. But I didn't really believe their report. You know, it's like uh, you could you, you ask you could ask uh, you could ask somebody some information on somebody, right? He's a tzaddik. Or what, what time is it? I'll tell you one of my father's classic jokes. Right, with there's a there's a shadchan. So the shadchan goes over to this guy and he says, "I have a girl for you. She's she's one in a billion. There's no there's no girl like this." He says, "Okay, I'm interested." This is. The father, the father's the wealthiest guy in the part of the world. You know, this was before they had the internet. You could just look up people's net worth. He's the wealthiest guy in that part of Europe by far. There's one little thing. She, she's, she's missing an ear. And he goes on and then he goes, okay. But the father's the wealthiest, wealthiest guy. She's also, she's hunchback. And she has a limp. And he goes, but after each thing he tells her, he says, but she, the father is the wealthiest, wealthiest guy. Okay. He agrees to the chasana. Maybe not the best chasana, but he agrees to the chasana. He gets to the chasana. The, 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 the girl is as described. After the chasana, he goes over to the shver, the new shver. And he says, let's talk, uh, you know, a little, a little dowry. Uh, set me up in a business or something. Guy says, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't had a nickel in 40 years. I, I'm, I'm as broke as they come. So understandably, the chassan's a little upset. He goes to find the shatchen. And he says to him, you lied to me. He says, I lied to you? I didn't lie to you. He says, yeah, you lied to me. You told me he's the wealthiest guy. He says, hold on. I told you a lot of things about her. I told you she had a hunchback. I told you she was missing an ear. I told you she had a limp. I told, all those were true. So one thing I got wrong. <laughs> so... That's the, that's the, 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 uh, Yaakov is thinking that this is also what his bro- the brothers are saying. You know, they found Yosef after all these years. They're trying to like dress it up a little bit. They're trying to make it good. Now that I see you, now that I see you, I can, I, I, I see that what they told me was true. I didn't really believe that you were as, as big of a tzaddik as they were telling me, that you were able to survive all this. Now that I see that your face is shining, right? we know that a person who's a Talmud Chacham, a person who's a tzaddik, the face shines. So I know that you're also alive. In other words, I knew you were alive, but I, now I know that you're alive. I knew that you were physically alive, I know you're spiritually alive. Well, the now he gives us a little bit just to put it into our lives. Everybody in their life goes through difficult times. Everybody goes through those dark moments. It may not be a physical pit. It may not be uh, it may not be a physical mitzrayim. But everybody goes through dark times in their lives. How do we survive those? The Torah teaches us how to survive those things. People go through very difficult times. If a person stays connected, he stays connected to the Jewish people, he stays connected to his rebbeim, he stays connected to his friends, he stays connected to his kehillah, he stays connected to his family. All these things that we stay connected to, we stay connected to Hashem ultimately. That's how he can get through anything, through any difficult time. As the, as the sailor said to the man drowning, as long as you hold on to that rope, you have life. If you let go of that rope, I don't know what's going to happen to you, but if you hold on to that rope, says, says he's saying here also, the rope is, we all connect, we're all connected to Yaakov Avinu. Some way we're all connected to Yaakov Avinu. Some of us take in different paths, but we're all connected to Yaakov Avinu. If we hold on to that rope, if we remember that and we keep that iskashus going, so then a person, a person can survive, can survive things. That's why it's so important to, 
to, to, to daven with a minion. That person stays connected. Because, you know, you have, everybody has days where the davening just doesn't come as well as, as, you would, as you would like it to, right? There's some days where you feel like you had a good davening, and then there are days that I won't ask what the percentages are, because I, I, I wouldn't want to share my answer, so I won't ask anybody else there either. But, you know, when you're with a minion, even if that davening is not where you want, obviously a person should try to do, make his davening as, as, as good as possible, but, but you're still connected to something. If you're on your own, and the davening shvach, and it, it can get lost, but when a person is connected, it, it, there's a lot of kayach, there's a lot of power. You see that Yosef had a very weak connection, but for 22 years it, it kept him strong. He was able to survive because of that. Shkayach.